Hello, this is the Ether Podcast, and I'm Rodrigo. That's Ryan. And today we are starting a series within a series. Uh, if you saw our latest video, we sort of introduced the topic, and uh, we're delving a little bit more into it. Not into all the details just yet. We have a lot uh, to cover when it comes to biblical genres, which is what we're talking about today. And today, more than anything, what we're focusing on is the importance of the genres. Because, as I said in the video that we made, a lot of times when we engage with the Bible, the biblical genres go vastly ignored. And it's interesting because we don't really do that with anything else that we consume as far as media is concerned. Now, the Bible is a book. And even when you think of other books, books have genres. And just to give you a very simple example, we don't expect the same out of uh, Pride and Prejudice, if you will, than we do from Harry Potter. All right, those okay. those two genres give us uh, two completely different sets of expectations. And those expectations and the genres sort of help us navigate what it is that we're reading. And the same ought to be true with the Bible, but unfortunately... A lot of times we totally ignore biblical genres and uh, more than anything, again, in this podcast, what we want to talk about is the importance of biblical genres. Yeah, I think we I get thrown off because when I read a book like Harry Potter, I am expecting one singular way of reading that when I read the story, I'm not expecting it to be different throughout. And so I think I get thrown off and we tend to get thrown off just because we're not expecting the Bible to be read in a different way. Like if the whole thing was poetry, that would be a reasonable expectation. Every I'm going to read this whole thing the whole way through in a certain manner, but it, it gets a little crazy because there are so many different genres within one single book. Right. You know, and it's interesting because I think one of the things that we rarely take into account when it comes to with the Bible is is the diversity of it. Because mm -hmm. the Bible is diverse not only in terms of genres, but in terms of authors, in terms of the uh, timeline it covers. And, totally. And I think, I think one of the difficult things, A, is even, uh, I think, coming to an understanding of the different genres. And B, I think because uh, even though the Bible has genres, they're very different than the genres that we're used to. The biblical authors told stories in ways that we're not used to. Uh, right. And one of the examples that we wanted to use for this podcast is the example of uh, a biblical narrative, a uh, historical narrative, I'm sorry. Uh, the majority of the Bible is uh, a narrative. And part of the reason why is because stories, and even if you think about it, stories are a really effective way to teach. Totally. Uh, and if the Bible was trying to teach us about God, then stories that involve God and God's people are great ways and very efficient and very effective ways to teach 
And but at the same time, the lessons are not packaged in ways that we're used to. And one mm-hmm. big difference, right, is sort of what we expect or what we should expect from the main characters involved in the stories that we're reading. Okay. Because here's the thing, by and large, um, we are used to basically being told when somebody is good or when somebody is bad, or even I think in more modern days, even when the, when the, when the bad guy is a good guy or the good guy is bad, uh, I, for example, I love Wolverine, right? Wolverine okay. is my favorite superhero. However, Wolverine is a very tortured soul. <laughs> and within the comic books and the movies about Wolverine, it makes it very clear that Wolverine isn't the most moral of people. But right. Both if you read the comic books and if you watch the movies, it is very explicitly told to you that Wolverine is a very conflicted character. Right. And that even though he has very bad tendencies, he ends up doing good. Totally. Everybody knows that he's the good guy, but you're told this thing that he did, this is a bad thing, or this is a bad choice. Correct. And But the Bible doesn't do that. And I think right. where understanding biblical genres comes in is in sort of understanding these unusual ways of telling stories. Mm-hmm. Because, for example, and we're going to look at this in a second, a lot of times the main characters in the biblical narratives are not supposed to be uh, good examples. They're actually bad examples. And we're not necessarily supposed to learn from their virtue but their lack thereof, and where it becomes really difficult is that the Bible rarely explicitly says, hey, so-and-so did this, and it's bad. Right. And it's almost like there's a lot of things that are implied, but those implications come from an understanding of the genre. Yeah. Yeah, I think that there's a lot that's left unsaid, which is very unique because in modern writing, the idea is let's, let's pack the article or the, the book or whatever we're reading. Let's pack it full of detail and full of information and make sure that the reader is totally clear on the author's intent. Now I'm going to tell you about something great that happened and here's why it's great. I'm going to tell you about something that's bad. Let me tell you why it's bad. And the author holds your hand throughout the entire process. But that's not necessarily the case that I see in a lot of biblical narrative. A lot of these guys, I tend to think, that's a pretty good guy. Well, that's a pretty bad guy. Until you get down the line and you go, wait a minute. After you like step back and you kind of reflect a little bit on that story and you think, hold up a second. That was terrible. <laughs> right. Like, I remember reading about Samson the first time. And Samson, to me, growing up, he was always one of those guys in uh, those colored Bible right. for kids kind of things. And they would talk about Samson with his long hair and, and how cool he was and, and 
how God made him really strong and he was able to do amazing things. And then you start reading the story and I'm going, these sound like terrible things that he's doing, <laughs> but he's, he's a guy that God is using. I'm, I'm really confused about how to feel about him because there's never that, that statement about his, his actions. And even later on, like in the, uh, in Hebrews 11, where they talk about all these faithful men, Samson gets brought up. And so you go, okay, I guess I ought to just discount right. my, my feelings of, of him being off because surely what, what, uh, the writer of Hebrews is saying is that he's a good guy. And you tend to discount all the other details that, that you come across about a guy like Samson. Yeah. And actually I, I want to visit, uh, Samson and some of the other judges in a minute here. Cause okay. I think at the end of the day, uh, well, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself because I want to bring up another, I want to bring up another example that I think that illustrates what we're talking about really well. All right. Okay. And uh, this is in Genesis 12. And uh, just to catch up, you tell you what sort of what the context of this is. This is a, uh, uh, Abram, because he's not called Abraham just yet. Uh, mm. Basically, Abram's been told to abandon his land and go to where God tells him he's going to give him a land for he and his sons, which is a ludicrous thing because Abram's an old man, and so is his wife. And on their way to their destination, they go through Egypt. And if you're a Bible reader, you're probably familiar with the story. And uh, this is, again, I'll read this. Uh, this is from... This is the NIV. This is Genesis 12, verse 9. It says, Then Abram set out and continued towards the Negev. Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, This is his wife. Then they will kill me, but, but will let you live. Say you are my sister so that I will be treated well for your sake and my life will be spared because of you. Now, here's the thing. Uh, I think if, if you've read this story, as you've read it, you probably took pause and said, oh, this is not a good thing. Like, what is, what is Abram doing, right? <laughs> And then we keep reading, and, he, and see, here's the thing. Because there is no comment, and if you keep reading the story, things turn out well, right? So what Abram feared would happen actually happens, right? And the Pharaoh kidnaps his wife, and then bad things begin to happen, and then the Pharaoh realizes, like, oh, no, this is not his sister, it's his wife, and God is cursing them, cursing me. And then he returns Sarai back to Abram. And so whatever pause you had, you sort of forget because in the end, things turn out well. But see, I think, again, where we fall into a trap is that we're used to, especially in modern literature, and by modern I mean going back a couple of centuries, so I don't necessarily know what period that is in literature, but but needless to say, yeah, we're very I think modern used starts to, with Shakespeare, I think. Right. We're very used to I think 
authors sort of giving us the internal dialogue. Mm-hmm. A, like, basically, Abram is expressing out loud a fear. But this passage doesn't tell us that he's afraid. It just sa- it just tells us what he tells his wife, right? Mm-hmm. And because it doesn't explicitly tell us that he's afraid, we don't automatically go to a place where we're ready to call him a coward, right? And then as right. we're thinking like, oh, this may not be a good thing, then we see the outcome and we go like, oh, this must have not been as bad as I thought it was. Right. And and so here's the thing, though. I feel like this is sort of a pattern that is repeated all throughout the story of Abram and his descendants in that a lot of times they, they do something that's morally, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? morally they do something that's wrong is basically what i'm getting (laughs) they do something that's wrong and god has their back yeah but because we're never told explicitly hey what abram did was wrong we never fully absorb abram's actions as something that are as as something that's bad yeah and we always paint kind of in a broad brush with a guy like Abram because he's the father of our faith and he's mentioned again and again about being faithful. And so you almost assume that anything he does is a good choice or at least if it's not a good choice, it's not a bad choice. And so, yeah, you tend to overlook some of these things, but if you were to step back and and, wait a minute, that guy just totally stood up his wife. And you imagine what what she's now subjected to. Right. And you think, boy, <laughs> that's not cool. Right. But it yeah, it, it definitely takes that second and third reading and being able to to sort of disconnect your brain from some of the the background stories that you know and some of the things that you've been taught or think about a story and trying to get to that place of reading it fresh. Well, and and so here's the thing, too. Then here's what's interesting, right? And I think here's where there's an extra layer to this. Um, If you sort of continue to read the story of not only Abram, but his descendants, his son actually does the same thing with his wife. Like, they're literally, Isaac, as he's traveling through Egypt, has the same thought and goes, oh, they're going to steal my wife and kill me. Why don't you say that you're my sister. And and again, it doesn't explicitly tell us that this is bad, but but it is telling us something, right? And one of the things that that is telling us is that sort of the sin of the father goes to the sin it becomes it becomes the sin of the son. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting too because basically um every single Abram included in all of his all of his descendants, to one degree or another, show uh, favoritism to one of their sons, and then it always comes and bites them in the butt. And again, we read this and we sort of don't see these patterns and we don't see what's happening. But the poor, 
the the author of Genesis is re- is clearly trying to tell us like, hey, when you favor one son over the other, it creates problems. Yeah. And again, I think what's difficult is that it's not explicitly telling us that that's the case, but we're supposed to sort of draw that out of the story. But again, because this story is being told in a way that we're not used to, we don't necessarily make those connections, which again goes to the point of what we're talking about this in this podcast, and that is extremely important to understand all of the genres and sort of the features of them. Mm-hmm. And uh, just to summarize a little bit, uh, and again, we, we in future podcasts, we're going to delve into a lot more detail about this, but just even the things that we've touched up until now. So one of the features of the historical narrative is that a lot of times the main characters aren't supposed to be good examples, but they're actually bad examples. And they're not necessarily people that we're supposed to learn from, but go like, oh no, I don't want to be like him. And see, this is where it becomes really difficult because with somebody like Abraham, for example, is not a a complete take it or leave it kind of thing because there are some things that even within the story of Abraham and even in things that are written about him later, there are things that we're supposed to admire about him. And there are things that we're supposed to imitate in him, but not everything yeah yeah you definitely have to take this and sit with it and i think some of the um i think tim Mackey was talking about the the meditative nature of these stories where you read it and you kind of go away and you, and you let it kind of sit on your brain and, and think about what do i know of god what do i know of man and how do these stories kind of gel together and you start seeing that, man, that is amazing. That choice that Abram made to, to push his wife aside and, and say, go be with the Pharaoh. And that's amazing. And then you kind of go along and, and you realize that God is sticking with this guy, even though he makes a lot of dumb choices that, you know, this this passage about him going down to Egypt happens three verses after God promises the promised land. Right. 12, seven says the Lord appeared to Abram and said to you, uh, to your offspring, I will give this land. So there you go. That's the promised land. Right. Three verses later in verse 10, there's famine in the land. Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. So three verses later, you see this guy that God had chosen making this choice. And so the juxtaposition of the stories are so close that it's easy to read past the foolishness. And then it, it moves on and, and you see God blessing him. And again, it's not really brought up to say that this is wrong and God takes us back because there's so much left out of it. But what, what it does is, when you're able to sit back and reflect on it, when you're able to kind of pause on these stories and think about what am I seeing, what am I reading and learning here 
about these characters, you begin to realize that the story is not about them, that it really is about God right. and how God sticks with his people, that he made a promise and he said to Abram, I pick you. And it doesn't really say why he picks Abram. It's not like Abram was especially religious or righteous or anything like that. God just picked him and said, I'm sticking with you. Even when he's making these poor decisions, God continues to stay with him. And you start seeing more of an emphasis. You're drawn back to God and God's favor in spite of Abram's poor choices. Um, and you realize that he's just a, a regular flawed human being that makes poor decisions and makes poor choices. And I'm a regular human being that makes poor decisions and poor choices and God sticks with me. And that's an encouragement. You learn more about God. You learn more about yourself. You see yourself in these characters um, as well because they're not all lily white and they're not all perfect. Right. Um, outside of Jesus, every one of these guys has some serious, crazy <laughs> baggage that they're dealing with and that their families have to put up with. And you, if you don't step back and see the, the dimensions of these characters, it's easy to overlook. You know, it's, it- it's I'm I'm glad you just said that because um you can think so and again I think we we are very used to um a very um I guess a narrow narrow definitions of these things and what I mean by that is and and I think th- this is again this is where it's difficult in that there are very noble things about Abraham, but there are also very, very non-so-noble things about Abraham. Uh-huh. And the thing is, and I think we need to see it as a privilege that we get to see both of those things. Yeah. Because in learning from the good things of Abraham and from staying away from the bad, we have a way better picture as to the kind of moral people that we're supposed to be. And it's super interesting to me because all of the major characters in the Bible um, are flawed, except for Jesus, like you said, right? But even if you think of, of Moses, I mean, I, yes, like if, so if you think of the big three in the Old Testament, right? Abraham, Moses, and David. Uh-huh. All of those three characters were noble but they were also deeply flawed. Totally. And what's amazing about the Bible is that they present both of those things, both their nobility and their lack of honor. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, think of David. Like, he, he slays... Um, oh, my gosh. His name just He's... completely... <laughs> oh, my... The giant's name, right? I can't believe I just it just completely blanked out of my mind. It's because I was thinking of Samson. Goliath. Goliath, <laughs> yes. Oh my god. That was a total brain uh glitch there. So he David Goliath. slays Goliath. Goliath. <laughs> David slays Goliath, right? And he's this man of faith 
and he's a mighty man, and he does all these brave things. He honors Saul in spite of Saul's uh, deep, deep flaws, right? Like, even though God has already anointed him as king, David still respects Saul, and even in a time in which he could have ended Saul's life, he decides not to do it because he's trying to honor the anointed one. Like, in, in every way, these are admirable and noble things. And But the Bible also tells us that when given the chance, he sleeps with a woman that is not his wife, has a child with her, and tries to cover it up by murdering a guy. You know what I mean? And same thing with Moses. Moses, we're told from the get-go, this is a man that murdered somebody, sort uh -huh. of runs away, right? And sort of... God chooses him to do this amazing task to free his people. And he pours the Red Sea and he performs all these miracles. And at the same time, many times we see his lack of patience. We see his lack of, uh, a, a lot of times his, his lack of ability to lead. Uh, ultimately, he doesn't enter the promised land because he disobeyed God. I mean, it, it, it's... Again, I think in, in one way, all of this can seem overwhelming and complicated. But mm -hmm. on the other hand, I think pr probably the better way to characterize it is it's rich, man. Like, yeah. the Bible is rich in the way in which it presents characters to us. And again, if we're not prepared, if our expectations are not set to absorb all of these things they end up going over our heads. Yeah. I, I like the idea of, of sitting with them, these stories and thinking about them. I think that if I was given too much information and told every little piece of information that I needed, I don't know how many times I would come back to the story. Um, you know, you hear people who've been around for years and years and read the Bible so many times and they're, they always say, I still get stuff out of it. I still right. find new pieces of information. And I think that that's in large part because the Bible doesn't give us every piece of information that, you know, you're, you're experiencing something in your life. And so your brain is moving in a certain direction and you read a story um, about Abram and it reads in a particular direction then life kind of takes you down another path and your mind is kind of moving in a different direction and you read Abram's story again and you pick up on something else. Whereas like with Harry Potter, that's a great story, but you're given all the information. Every time you come back to Harry Potter, the decisions are the same, the results are the same, the implications are the same you're walked through the same exact story because of the amount of detail. And in one sense, that's enjoyable as well, but you get to turn your brain off to a large degree with like modern reading. Um, my wife reads at an incredible rate and I'll <laughs> ask her like, she'll read like 300 pages in a day and I'll ask her, so what was the story about? And she can only remember very sparse details right. because your brain doesn't really have to engage the material that much. Whereas with the Bible where there are major pieces of information that are missing, you have to engage it more 
mentally. And then you do run into different genres and you, you do feel like your brain is constantly engaged. Um, which to me makes it difficult to read large chunks of the Bible at a time, unless it's set up in a particular way, like, like an epistle where you've got these arguments that kind of flow one into the next. Right. Um, Whereas with historical narrative, with very few exceptions, most of the stories are pretty short. You know, you read through first and second Kings and the Chronicles and everything judges. Each one of these stories is maybe a chapter or two, and then you move on to a different character. And so it's just hard to keep up that same pace of reading right? because your brain is engaged in such a different way than, you know, Harry Potter or something else like that. Right. Well, let me, I want to close out with a couple of things because I think it's important to touch on this stuff. And again, like this is sort of a, a, a podcast introduction to the topic of biblical genres. Uh, because again, there's a, there's a lot to touch on and, 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 This is what I mean, right? Every genre has its own features. And understanding the features helps us interpret scripture. And even you mentioned the epistles, um, and we've been talking a little bit about the, the, the challenges that a historical narrative presents. The epistles have their own challenge in that uh, a lot of time we're only basically Paul or uh, Paul is writing a letter to a church and we only know half the conversation. Mm-hmm. Right? Paul is sure. addressing issues that from the text, a lot of, a lot of times we can sort of uh, make a very educated guess as to what he's addressing. Uh, but a lot of times we also can't. And, and so even though the, an epistle is, I think, a little bit more formal in nature and things a little bit more straightforward, it also has complications. And sure. that's true for every genre. And I think to add a layer of complication, right, uh, not every book in the Bible is straight up one genre, right? Right, Totally. Because Absolutely. some historical narrative will sort of like delve into a poem and some prophecy will delve. Well, almost every prophetic book is written in poetry, but it's prophetic. And so then you have sort of the challenge of like, how much of this am I supposed to take literally? How much mm-hmm. of it is hyperbole? When God talks about total destruction, is it really total destruction or is he just trying to make the point that it's going to be really, really bad? Right. So all of this stuff is challenging. I think the the challenge of wisdom is like how much of this do we take as fact? How much of it do we take as sort of like a general understanding of things? All all biblical genres have its complications. Every book of the Bible is complex because sometimes uh, they belong to different genres. But I I do think that this is uh, one of the things that's important for for the people who are listening to this to understand, right? Okay. I think one of the uh one of the geniuses in um the Bible being so uh diverse and even one of the one of the good things about all of these complications 
right? Is that ultimately, and we've been saying this from the moment that we started this series <laughs> about how to study the Bible, is that I think one of the things, one of the key things to understand about the Bible is that ultimately the Bible is about God. Right. And even though the biblical authors are trying to write about, uh, in the case of the Jews, about their people, in the case of Paul writing to another church, he was trying to write it to another church. But ultimately, all of these things are inspired by the Spirit to teach us something about God. Right. And the fact that even the biblical authors used the features of the genres they wrote in to teach about God, to me, is amazing. And I'll give you this example, going back to uh, the patriarchs, right, to Abraham and his, his direct descendants. One of the lessons that we learn from Abraham and his direct descendants in that they are flawed and in that they sort of have all these, um, these family sins of favoritism and cowardice and all of this other stuff, right, and pride even at times. In learning those things about these characters, in being able to say, like, oh, man, like, these people were really noble, but they were also really flawed, ultimately what shines is God. Because mm -hmm. the story of the patriarchs is no, ultimately not a story about them, but it's a story about God who, in spite of them, not because of them, not because they earned it, but in spite of their flaws, God did what he said he was going to do. Yeah, he remains faithful to them. Right. And I think a lot of times, uh, one of the things, and again, I think this is the point of this podcast is in what we're trying to drive is that understanding the genres ultimately at the end of the day allows us to understand God better. When we yeah. understand the features of poetry, when we understand the features of wisdom, when we understand the features of historical narrative, we have to understand that the biblical authors use these methods not just to tell the story of man, but to tell the story of God. And ultimately, mm -hmm. when we understand the genres, we'll get to understand God better. Yeah. So kind of in summary, like if I'm going to sit down tomorrow and read... um some historical narrative. Let's just say the book of Luke. I'm going to sit down and read the book of Luke. What are some things that you think I ought to keep in mind as I'm reading that book? Well, well, a couple of things is that the book of Luke, for example, is two genres at once. It is a historical narrative, but it's also a gospel, right? And both those things have its own features. Like we said, one of the features of historical narrative is that things aren't always explicitly explicitly said, even when it comes to Jesus, right? There are times that we're not, there are times that the Bible, was, Luke, in this case, is very explicit as to what Jesus was thinking, what he was feeling, but there are other times in that we sort of have to put things together and make a very educated guess of like, hey, Jesus did this because of X, Y, or Z. Okay. Right? And a lot of times, I think, I think particularly when it comes to Jesus, Jesus is always a good example, right? But some of the people around them, uh, for example, one of the, and this is true for almost all of the Gospels, is that there's always a great deal 
of contrast. And one of the things that you should always look in the Gospels, for example, is how the every every Gospel author tries to set a contrast between either, say, the Pharisees, who were a bad example, and either Jesus, who was the best of examples, or somebody else who may have been somebody of lower standing or somebody who you wouldn't necessarily expect who is a contrast to the Pharisees bad example and a blind person, for example, who is a good example. And mm -hmm. so when that is happening, you're supposed to go like, oh man, like look at the contrast that Luke is trying to draw to A, teach us about what good character is supposed to be, but B, teach us about how Jesus was just. Because the only one that all the times that acknowledge uh, the lowly, if you will, and their nobility is not the leaders, but it is Jesus. And so all of these things, again, when you understand that a lot of times the Gospels draw on contrast and trying to say things that are sort of opposite to each other, again, this is true for all of the Bible, all the Gospel authors, that's something that you're supposed to go like, oh, I'm supposed to be learning from this moment of contrast. Right. Okay. So looking at how the different characters around Jesus compare to Jesus and how they compare to other people around him. Okay. Yeah, I think that's helpful. Um, so I guess just to even be clearer, I guess we didn't really describe what historical narrative is at the very beginning, but it's any of the stories. Correct in the Bible that has a plot, meaning that the story is moving forward. Um, there is a story element to it, meaning there are characters that are doing something. It's not, um, and, and you, the reader, are sort of the observer of the action as opposed to like letters where you may be uh, the audience Correct. that's reading the this instruction that's coming to you that um, you got good guys, you got bad guys. Um, and most of the Bible is made up of that. And so I think that that's kind of the low-hanging fruit of the various kinds of genres. It's the ones that most of us feel most comfortable reading. You know, you start reading the, the Bible and you say, I'm going to read this in a year. Uh, and you jump on one of those plans and you get through Genesis and you're like, cool, man, I got this. Right. You get into Exodus and you're like, okay, this is even cooler. This is some big stuff. You got plagues, you got Egypt. And and then all of a sudden you start getting to all these rules and laws and you start going, wait a minute, <laughs> man, this is boring and tough. And what happened to all the action? Right. Because the genre shifted on you and you're you're not – the action isn't moving forward. And then, boy, by the time you get to Leviticus, if you're still with it, you're not sure exactly where your brain is and what you should be getting out of it. Um, so I think to modern readers, historical narrative is the stuff that we like to read, that we're naturally drawn to. Correct. Um, I think maybe the other thing that we're drawn to is is more of the the discourse where somebody's telling me specific practicals that I should have in my life 
and how to be a good person. I want you to just package it up for me. And that's very clear. Um, you know, something I could put on a note card um, or a story that that's kind of engaging. Right. But those are sort of the two biggies. Yeah. And, and well, and let me say this. And, and I think, again, this is a thing important to understand. And, and just so you know, for the people who are listening, we didn't get into sort of all the nitty gritty of all the biblical genres, because again, what we wanted to do with this podcast is, is harp on the importance of understanding genres and why you should, why you should want to basically, we, we're going to take a deep dive into this stuff in the next videos, podcasts, all this other stuff. Um, but I, I, again, I think it is important with, with, uh, historical narratives, like the name says, to understand that whoever wrote these historical narratives is trying to capture a time and place. Mm -hmm. Hence the historical aspect of it. But at the same time, it's, it's history in a way that we're not used to. We as Westerners are used to studying history in terms of dates and events. And to a certain degree, some, some characters involved. But our, the way that we study history is a lot more factual than it is uh, story-driven. And But again, I think there's a genius in telling history through stories. Mm -hmm. And particularly as it pertains to the Bible, the genius is that we're, be, we're both being told what happened in in a, in a time and place, but the stories are also capturing uh, the morality of that moment a lot of times. And I think it's it's not only the the events and the times and the places that we're supposed to learn from, but also that 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 freeze in morality that within the context of the time and place. We're supposed to learn something about ourselves, about the characters involved, and again, yeah. ultimately about God. So just to sort of close this podcast, again, like we really are looking forward to talking a lot more in detail about all this stuff. We, we did not want to get into a whole bunch of specifics, although we've been very specific about a few things. <laughs> but I think, again, if anything, we wanted to entice people to really want to learn about the genres because it really changed the way in which you read the Bible. And, and again, I think most Bible readers completely ignore them. And in doing so, you miss on a lot. And I think the dangerous, I think the uh, I, in best case scenario, you miss a lot of things that the Bible is trying to tell you. And worst case scenario, I think we end up misunderstanding certain things sure and and i think understanding the genres clarifies a lot of things and forces us to read things with a different set of expectations and actually clarifies a lot of what we're reading so yeah. all that being said we uh in what we're trying to do with this series as a whole again is to teach people how to study the bible and a big piece of that is teaching the genres. Yeah. So. Yeah. 
with all that, I think this. Go ahead. I think it's good. Yeah. Uh, I was just gonna say, and I think that that's a good place to kind of, kind of wrap up things, just because we're going on a, a trip just as much as the people who are listening. Oh yeah, man. We're gonna we're gonna go dive deep into the sea. <laughs> so, with that being said, uh, hopefully you've enjoyed this. Uh, I know that I'm really looking forward to everything that's coming after this, and uh, we want to thank you so much for listening. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us, you can do so on uh, social media, on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at EtherMMC. And, uh, you know, we've been uh, announcing that we're going to do some Reddit articles. I'm actually going to do this week an article on Reddit about uh, the book of Judges and sort of how this whole historical narrative and the genre fits within that book. So be on the lookout for that. And uh, thank you so much for listening. And we'll see you on the next one.